Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible and need one, uh, our ushers will give you a Bible. All you got to do is put your hand up and they'll get one uh, to you. So we're starting a series today, a new series called Side by Side, Advancing the Gospel Together. Advancing the gospel together. And this series is going to be through the entire book of Philippians. We're just going to go section by section, verse by verse, listening and believing that God is going to speak to us. And so in order for us to understand this message, I think it's good for us to get the context of the letter of Philippians. And so just so you understand, Paul started the church when he went on his a missionary journey through Macedonia. So if you read Acts 16, you'll see all of that. It just explains how he meets Lydia and how she comes to faith. And then the jailer, he comes to faith. This person who was punishing Paul comes to faith in Christ. Then his whole family comes to faith in Christ. And this letter actually comes to us because that, this church, they send Paul a care package. That's what happened. They send a care package to him because he is in jail as he writes this letter. And he's, he's at the time where he's in jail, is probably in Rome. Now, jail in that culture is not like jail today. Like, they didn't give you any food. You didn't get a nice change of clothes. If not, changing clothes could be nice in jail, but they didn't give you a nice change of clothes. They didn't give you any food or anything like that. You didn't get a book, you didn't get a pen, you didn't get this, you know, to sort of sit by yourself and study, usually chained to someone. And in that culture, when you went to jail, you either died in jail or they killed you. So it's very rare that you would actually get to come out. And so these people here, Paul's in jail, and so they send him this package. That's why in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I am well supplied, having received from Aphroditus the gift you sent. So Paul gets this gift, and he's like, I'm thankful for it, and then he sends this letter back telling them he is grateful, telling them that he has received it. And so that's why we have the letter that is in front of us today. And Paul, in these first 11 verses, he, again, he tells them how he feels about them, and then he gives them an update on what's going on in his life. And then he tells them just how grateful to God he is for them. And here's the thing. We should always be thankful Thankful to God for the people who help us move the gospel forward and help to mature the gospel in us. Again, in these first 11 verses, Paul's going to tell them who they are in Christ. He's going to tell them how he feels about them. And then he's going to tell them what he prays for them. That's the whole way this section flows. Who they are in Christ, how he feels, and then what he prays. So look at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our first point today. Paul's thankfulness reminds us of our identity. It reminds us of our identity in Christ. Notice that Paul calls himself a servant. He says him and Timothy are servants in Jesus Christ. He doesn't start the letter with Paul, the apostle who started your church. He says Paul, a servant. The Greek word has the idea of belonging to someone that he is owned. And this reminds us that once we are saved, once we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to him. We are his call to serve him with our lives. We serve him by spreading the gospel. That's how we serve Jesus Christ, by spreading the gospel. And we serve Jesus Christ by serving one another. That is what we are to do. See, in calling himself a servant, what Paul is doing here is he's humbling himself. He is humbling himself, but as he humbles himself, all Paul is doing is following the example that is set for us by Jesus Christ, who again, Paul mentions in chapter two. He says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus didn't assert his right. He said he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being, born, being found in human form, he humbled himself by com- becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. See, Paul can only say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ because Jesus served him first. He can only say that because Jesus humbled himself, gave himself, died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God, so that could be restored. We can only serve God because we have been served first by Jesus Christ. And when we keep that in mind, we will be able to serve one another even when things are hard and challenging because we realize just how much we have been served. And we're not just servants. That's one part of our identity. We're also saints. Did you see it in verse one? Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That term refers to someone who has been set apart set apart by God to live distinct and holy lives, all for his glory. See, Paul wants them to know that they're saints so that that would guide their behavior. It would guide the way that they live. And again, it's the same for us. We have been set apart by Jesus Christ, called to live lives that please him. Again, as we spread the gospel and fight sin. See, when Jesus saved us, He completely changed our identity. Do you know that about yourself? That you are not the same? If you are in Christ, he completely takes you and turns you inside out. Your identity is completely changed. So the banner over our life is no longer sinner. If you're in Christ, that's not what is sitting over your head. It's not sinner. That's why I've said this before in our soft launch page. When somebody calls me a sinner, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a saint who sins. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ who sins because the banner over our life is servants and saints, not sinners. When God looks, he looks and he sees people who he loves, people who are called to serve him, people who are saints, who are set apart, and he wants us to know these things so that it would guide our behavior, so that our conduct would be honorable to him. 
This is the primary way God wants us to see ourselves. Now, some of you know this about me, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 25. But I grew up in a Jamaican house, and so you went to church on Sunday. So I was in church like every Sunday, even though I was like, I don't really want to be here. But I was there. My mom's like, you need to get up if you want to eat. You're going to church. (laughs) And one of the things I always noticed that in my church growing up, all the elders and deacons just sat on the stage. No Bible. And so I'm like, I don't know what's going on up in here. Legs crossed, sometimes just looking at people like, that one is for you. <laughs> oh, yes. And I'm in the back, I'm just, so what, I'm, I'm, we used to sit up in the balcony, and I just, just would sit, and all I would think was, well, whatever the pastor is saying just doesn't apply to these guys. That's, it, that's what it communicated to me, that nothing that was said was for them. It was for everybody else, that they had fully arrived and everything like that. Well, Paul completely blows up that idea. It's there. Again, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi, watch this, with the overseers and deacons. And what Paul is saying here is that everything I'm about to say is for everyone. He highlights the leadership roles. He says to all the saints, but he also says with the overseers and the deacons. Overseers are pastors who guide and protect the church of God. Deacons are those who work alongside pastors, elders, to care for those struggling in the church. And so Paul addresses those in leadership, but it's because he's like, it's for you too. And so don't just kind of sit back and act like you've arrived and everything like that. You need to listen. You need to lean in, and it's the same in this church. Yes, I am one of the pastors in this church, but everything that is said in this church, everything that's said in the Bible uh, to this church is for me, it's for all of our elders, it's for all the deacons that we're praying that God would raise up, it's for everyone. The word of God is for all of us at all times, at every single moment. No one is exempt. No one has arrived. And that was wrong. And if I ever go back, I might tell them but I probably won't go back. (laughs) Everyone, we are servants and saints in Jesus Christ and everything applies to us in a very real way. Those in leadership are to lead the way in serving. They're to lead the way in being saints in the way that they live their lives. So Paul reminds us, reminds them of their identity and the grace they've received through Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace. Again, the grace they've received and the peace that they have experienced because of Christ. So he tells them who they are in Christ and then he tells them how he feels about them. Verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you making all my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here's point number two. Paul's thankfulness shows us the importance of commitment. It shows us the importance of 
commitment. Paul tells them that he thanks God for them. He says, I do that in all my remembrance of you, in every prayer of mine. Every time I remember you, I thank God. Every time I pray, I thank God for you. And he prays for them with joy. He says, I do it with joy. This is not out of obligation. He's like, I'm joyfully praying and thanking God for you. And he does it for every member in the church. Notice he says, for you all. See that in verse four? He says, there's not like, I'm praying for this person, but I am praying for this person. He's like, I'm praying for everyone in the church. I do it for you all. And then he tells them why, verse five. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Another translation says, you have been partners with me in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. From the first time they heard it. See, their, their partnership immediately makes me think of the churches that have helped our church. Do you understand that? That our church is here because there's a whole bunch of other churches that have helped us start this church. And I just want you to know them because as a church, we should never stop being thankful for these churches who have partnered with us. There's Harvest Mississauga, soon to be Hope Mississauga. Yes. (laughs) And that's our primary sending church. And Ted, Ted and I worked together for seven years. I remember the first time Ted uh, approached me about joining the staff there. We were sitting in a Harvest Kids room at Harvest Oakville and we were on these two small chairs and we were like this close. And if you know me, I don't like to get too close. I'm like, this is too close. (laughs) And we just talked, but I had no idea where it was going to go for me. That was way back in 2011. And I, that church, like Kim and I came there, we had, we had one baby at the time, we got four babies now, but Zion was about yay high, but we just grew up there and God just showed us all kinds of grace and Ted, he taught me and showed me how to handle the word. He even like, he's like, Marv, you're terrible at outlining, here's how to do it. And he took his time with me and so I'm grateful for that church and so many people from that church are part of this church now. And then there's Hope Church Toronto West, a church that I... I preach out a ton, and I love that church. Jason and I are very close. And there's Hope Bible Church Oakville, where I worked for two and a half years before going to Mississauga. And then there's Harvest York Region, which just kind of came out of the blue. We didn't even approach them. Paul, who's over here, who's now the director of uh, the Great Commission Collective, which is our network that we're a part of, was the pastor there. And he just called. He's like, hey, we heard you're planning the church. We want to help. I'm like, you do? But they've just come along and they've sent people and they're supporting us in, very, in really good ways. There's Harvest New Market with Mike, uh, Pastor Mike up there. Him and I served in youth ministry together. Then there's Mission City Bible Church, which is formerly Harvest Branford. And there's Harvest Niagara. So we're not on our own. And these churches love us. All of them today are praying for us. They're texting me and all that kind of stuff. And I just... And the level of encouragement is deep. And we are to, when they come to mind, thank God for these places. Because they're, they're shoulder to shoulder with us, advancing the gospel together. See, Paul, just like we have great support, he had great support from the Philippians. See, he preached the gospel to them, they believed it, and then they immediately got busy spreading it. He says, from the first day until now. See, they were committed, deeply committed. But here's the thing, not everybody was that committed. 
Not everybody was that committed to Paul. Just flip over to verse, chapter 4, verse 15. It says, And you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving except you only. It's not like everybody jumped in. It's not like everybody was deeply committed to the gospel going forward. They, they, they were so committed that they gave even when they didn't have that much. Look at the screen. 2 Corinthians 8. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For, we gave according to, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. That's my favorite part of the verse. Of their own accord. Here's what I will, I'm just going to tell you this plain. Nobody in this church will ever pressure you to give. You're never going to have somebody up here who's going to give you sort of like, you know, don't rob God and all that kind of stuff and some kind of big spiel and make you feel all guilty so you kind of back off something. We're not going to do that. And that's because we believe that if the gospel has really touched your heart, if this is really home for you, if you really believe in what's going on here, if you really believe in the gospel being advanced, you'll give. And you will do that wisely. You will do that according to your means. You will do that according to the season of life that you are in. And so that's never going to happen at this church. Their own accord. They were committed to advancing the gospel with Paul. See, the, the church at Philippi, what they do is they paint for us a beautiful picture of commitment. A beautiful picture of commitment. They partnered with Paul in the gospel work and they never wavered. They never wavered. Again, I'm doing, this is sort of like one of those intro sermons, so I'm doing a whole bunch of things. There, there's a whole bunch of people who have come alongside. Kim and I were, were standing in the kitchen yesterday and just thinking about the people who committed to be a part of this church when there was nothing. We didn't have a place to meet. We didn't know if we, there was just me, Kim, and the boys, and so it would just have been the, four, you know, the, the six of us. Or How many is that? I can't remember. Just in here by ourselves, you know? Zion, like, preach it, Dad! But people just committed, and they never wavered. They were with us from the beginning, and we were just listing off people after people after people after people. And we were, just, we were thankful to God for them. The Philippians show us that we need to be people who other people can depend on. That when we give our word, our yes is our yes. And we stay committed, watch this, even when it gets hard. Because sometimes you make a commitment and you realize like, this is hard. It's harder than I thought. In our culture, what people do is as soon as it gets hard, they back off. That's not the way we are to live as Christians. We are to say, yes, this is hard, but I believe that God is going to grow me through this. That he's going to use this for my sanctification that he means good for me and I'm going to keep my word. People need to know they can depend on us. See, they're spreading, their commitment to spreading the gospel is why Paul is so confident of God's work in them. Look at verse six. It says, I'm sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. That word partakers highlights again this idea of partnership, that they're doing something together. See, even when Paul is in jail, he's like, you stuck with me. I'm in jail and here comes the gift. I know you are with me. I'm out of jail and I can defend and I can confirm. I can proclaim the gospel publicly. And there you were with me, alongside of me, helping me to advance the gospel. This is a sign of God's work in them. Have you ever started something and never finished it? Well, a whole bunch of you are like, mm-hmm. Right, you start the project around the house and you sort of make it halfway through. I mean, I'm in this spot right now. Like I was painting the house last week and then Kim was like, yo, what, what happened to, the, what happened to the, the closet? I'm like, I'm getting to that. Just kind of halfway and give up. Sometimes we start books, right? A whole bunch of people are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you kind of make it halfway through, you feel a little bit bored. And then you put it down and then you realize you put it on a stack of other books that it was like the same reality, right? Just kind of fall over at the night, hit you on the head. We start things all the time and we don't finish them. But you know what? God is not like that. He is not like that. He always finishes what he starts. Look at verse six. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, we can be committed to each other because God is so committed to us. That he's like, he's like, I'm with you. I'm dug in. That thing that I've started in you is going to get done. There's no halfway with God. See, it's God's commitment to us that moves Jesus Christ to give up all in heaven in order to come and rescue those who are in need of a savior. It's that deep commitment to his children that moves him to enter into our lives. And here's something important that we can't miss in this verse. And it's the reality that we're still in process. Did you catch that? It's the reality that we're still in process. Paul says God starts the work. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It started, but it ain't done yet. And the the reason I share that is because we should actually be encouraged by that reality. And it should allow us to be patient with ourselves. You know when that old sin rolls back on you? And you sort of go into that, that you're tempted to go into that spot of despair? We are not to do that. The reality is we should confess and repent and turn, but believe that God is going to continue the good work that he is doing in our lives. So it should make us patient with ourselves, but it should make us patient with each other. One of the things that will keep this church healthy is that we, if we are a, a place where we extend grace to one another, see, because we are in process, that means we are going to sin and still hurt one another. And what we are to do when that happens is to confess and repent as the Spirit leads us and go to that person seeking their forgiveness. And when they ask for it, extend it back and forth. This is to be a place of grace because we've been shown so much grace by Jesus Christ. Paul 
is confident that God will finish what he started. He loves the Philippians. Verse 7, he says, I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, he says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, the love is deep. The love is real. Again, they stuck with him through thick and thin. Paul shows us here that if there's someone in your life who has helped you, they've helped you to move the gospel forward, or they're helping to mature the gospel in you, you are to tell them how you feel about them. Right? Some of us that are real kind of like tough and all that kind of stuff, we kind of hold our feelings in and everything like that. We aren't to be like that. Just let it loose. Here's how I feel about you. I love you. (laughs) And don't just do it because you want to hear them say, I love you back. (laughs) You tell each other how we feel, that we're grateful to God that that person is in our life, that we're thankful for the way in which they pray for us and encourage us in the ways that we need it. Again, these are ways that we can encourage one another in the work. It's not easy to be the church. And sometimes we need to pick one another up and speak into each other's lives. Again, so Paul, he's in a jail cell, he's in chains, but he's full of joy, and that's because his friends had his back. And he had their back. And I know this because he prays for them. Charles Spurgeon said, Believer, you have a mighty engine in your hand. Use it well. Use it constantly. Use it with faith. And you shall surely be a benefactor to your bread. Almost my Jamaican. Your bread. <laughs> you shall surely be your benefactor to your, your brethren or your brethren. <laughs> your brethren. <laughs> when you have the king's ear, speak to him for the suffering members of his body. That's a good line. When you have the king's ear. When you are favored to draw near to his throne and the king says to you, ask and I will give whatever you ask. Let not your petitions be to, for yourself alone. It's not wrong to pray for ourselves. That's not wrong. But for the many who need his aid, Paul has the king's ear. And so, yes, he prays for his brethren. (laughs) And he prayed some very specific things for them. And what Paul prays guides us in our prayer. Look at verse 9. So it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, Paul starts with, I'm praying for you. And then he tells them what he prays for them. He prays that their love would steadily steadily increase. He says that your love would grow more and more. And he says that that it would be increased with knowledge. This is this idea that they would would understand God's command to love one another. And he also prays that their growth in love would be full of discernment. One translation says depth of insight. See, he wants their moral perception to be strong so that they would know how to make right decisions. That's what he's praying for. That's why he says, so you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The NIV says it a little bit more clear. It says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. 
So you would be able to, in each situation, know what the right action is. Me and my friends growing up in high school, we used to always say this phrase, we'd say, snitches get stitches. And the idea there is that like, if you witness something and the police come and you sell out your boys to the police, well, that would get you in some trouble with your boys. But if a Christian is in that situation where they witness something and the police come and ask a question, well, in that moment, you have a moral decision to make. In that moment, you have to decipher what is the right action to do right now. Because there's two pressures going on. There's the pressure of my friends. And then there's just the pressure of what is right. And so Paul, he's praying that in a scenario like that, that the Philippians would know what the best thing to do. And here's the thing about doing what's right. Sometimes doing what's right has risks with it. And that's why doing what's right takes courage. Because there is risk that comes with it. Frank Thielman says, Paul's basic request for the Philippians is that they might express their love in ways that show both knowledge of how to obey God's will generally and more specifically of how to make moral decisions based on God's will in the give and take of everyday living. He wants them to know what to do. See, the Philippians, he knows they face moral decisions every day. And so do we. All of us in the day-to-day living of life, we face moral decisions. When we open our restaurant doors, we're in the middle of a, of, of a moral decision because some of the people coming in don't actually like us all that much. And we've got to make a decision. When we go to close that real estate deal, there's a way that we can sometimes skirt things, but we have a moral decision that we have to make. When we try to sell our art, we have to make moral decisions. When we turn on our screens, the big ones in our house and the little ones in our you know, pocket that have bumping into each other because we're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. We have moral decisions to make. When we drive around the city, there's a way we are to drive. There's a way we are to respond when people don't drive the way we're supposed to drive. When we walk on the hospital floor for that 12-hour shift, in the middle of our singleness, in our parenting, in all kinds of areas, we have moral decisions to make. Do you see why we need to pray for each other? Because in, in the everyday living of life. We don't always know what is best. Sometimes that pressure forces us to do some things that are not right. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that your love would grow so that you would know what is right. And I'm saying to us as a church, prayer is supposed to be one of the major things here. Again, not just saying, I'm praying for you. Don't you get that sometimes in church and you're like, are you? That's just what you're saying because you want me to leave. But literally saying, I'm praying for you and really praying for one another so that we would know what is right, so that we would be able to discern in every situation what is best. One of the things that will keep this church strong, if it's a place of authentic, genuine prayer for each other when we're here and when we are scattered all over the city, praying for one another, pleading to God that he would help us to have wisdom and discernment as we live our life. Because again, the way we live our life in this culture is a witness 
It strengthens our witness when our conduct is honorable, when our conduct aligns with our identity. Remember, servants and saints. And we are to pray for one another so that we can live that way. See, Paul prays this way because he knows that if they grow in love, that they, would be, they will be pure and blameless when they stand before Christ. His prayer will ensure that they bear the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Do you notice how many times Paul says Christ, Christ, Christ? Jesus is on his brain. He's thinking about Christ, the fruit of righteousness can refer to conduct, the conduct of those who are declared righteous or simply the conduct that is righteous. righteous. So he's, he's praying that the fruit of the Holy Spirit would be seen in their lives. I'm getting hot, so I'm going to move it on. See, we should want one another to live lives that bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And prayer, again, is the best way we can do that. See, because God has to do it. For us to bear the fruit of righteousness, it has to be God at work in us. And that's why he gets all the praise. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise, to the glory, sorry, and praise of God. Paul wanted the name of God to be praised. And this is what we should want as a church. Again, there's people who are visiting. There's some people who I know they're not going to be here next week because they go to another church. And like, We're grateful that you are here with us. But if you are here and you're like, I'm thinking about this, is that it's going to be the church that I'm going to be a part of, then I want you to know that all of our hearts needs to be here that God would get all the praise, that God would get all of the glory. See, as we, are, as we look to serve him, as we look to live as saints, people who believe in Jesus Christ, people who have come under the rule of Jesus Christ, who are trusting in him, as we work together to advance the gospel in this city, our heart should be that God would get all the glory and all the praise because it's all about him all the time. Because if anything happens, it's all because of him doing it through us. And so his praise is what we are all about because he is worthy of it all. Because he is the one who can make it all happen. Let's stand and pray. And so Father, Lord, in this moment that we've heard of our identity in Jesus Christ, that we are servants of him, that we belong to Christ, that we are saints called to live in Christ-honoring and Christ-exalting ways. Would you help us, Father, to have a heart that wants to live like that? And Father, if we have, if we have heard about the importance of commitment, if you've challenged me about commitment this week, and what it means to actually come shoulder to shoulder with a person in the, in the give and take of life, in the difficulties of life, that we are to be committed to one another, that we are to keep our word, that we aren't to cut and run because things get hard. And so I pray that you would help us, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, 
that you would anoint us so that we can commit to one another, so that we can love one another, so that we can know and look to the person next to us that there's someone that we can depend on and they can look at us and see that, there's, that we are someone they can depend on. And Father, I pray that all of this would be wrapped up in this, in this reality that we need to pray that these things don't happen, that we can't live as servants and saints without pleading for you to help us. So I pray that prayer would be a real burning thing in our hearts and that we would do it with joy. And Father, thank you. Thank you ultimately for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible for us to stand here and pray this prayer and sing this song. And we pray, God, that you would help us to be all about your glory, that everything would be done for your praise so that others would praise your name because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.